0: Hello everyone, and welcome to China Perspectives, a podcast on economic and credit developments in China with experts from both within and outside of Fitch. My name is Jeremy Zook, your host for today's episode and Fitch's lead sovereign analyst for China. A topic that's been grabbing a lot of headlines over the past several years is global supply chain diversification out of China. Much of the research and media focus on supply chain diversification has been on global firms with much less attention given to exploring the role of Chinese firms in these trends. So in today's episode, I thought it would be valuable to explore this topic through the lens of Chinese firms and how they are both contributing and responding to these supply chain diversification trends. Fitch's corporate research team has recently done some incredibly interesting work on these topics. The team published a report in October looking at outward FDI by Chinese firms and will soon be publishing another report on Chinese firms' trade and supply chain developments. Today we are privileged to have one of the authors of these reports, Flora Zhu, join us to discuss some of their findings. Flora is a director in Fitch's corporate research team based in Beijing. She has been in this role for eight years, primarily focused on industry research covering a range of corporate sectors in China. She has also published several reports tracking Chinese corporate's outbound investment. Flora, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks a lot, Jeremy, for having me here today. Global production diversification is indeed a very hot topic, and Chinese manufacturers are also part of this trend. It's really my pleasure to have a chance to share our recent observations with the audience.
0: Great. Flora, let's start by looking broadly at outward FDI and assessing uh, the recent pickup that we've seen in this area what are some of the key factors that are driving Chinese firms to expand their FDI investments abroad?
1: Okay, Um, cost is no doubt one of the considerations. Chinese manufacturers in some labor-intensive sectors, including apparel and footwear, started investing overseas like more than a decade ago uh, to reduce the production cost, as wages in China had been increasing um, very substantially. And the trend is to continue. Uh, more recently, since the U.S.-China trade war in 2018, we have seen a new round and an accelerated pace of overseas expansions by some Chinese companies in a wide range of sectors, uh, that including um, also some high-end manufacturing companies, as because increasing trade barriers and the U.S.-China trade tensions are promoting more to establish a second supply chain out of China to avoid high tariffs and also, at the same time, strengthen their supply chain resilience. In the meantime, I think competitive Chinese manufacturers in some sectors such as home appliance and EV, they have also been adding offshore capacities in or closer to the end market just to grab a more market share. And other drivers apart from that also include like um, logistic-related disruptions uh, we have seen during the COVID-19 pandemic. And also some companies are in some sectors, they are facing a very um, slowing domestic demand and have a weak sales prospect. So those companies are also seeking overseas gross opportunities. Uh, apart from that, uh, some companies are also uh, going abroad to obtain the raw material supply, mainly due to some countries' uh, export restrictions on certain candle kind of products.
0: So what are the key destinations for Chinese firms' investments abroad, and what is drawing firms to those particular countries?
1: Um, as I just mentioned, um, the latest round of overseas expansion is not for cost-saving, but also trying to boost their supply chain resilience and also capture market share. Therefore, their investment destination is much more diversified compared to the last round and do not necessarily target some kind of low-cost regions. Uh, for industries that are sensitive to labor and some land costs, they uh, still focus on the emerging countries, while um, those that value lead time and proximity to customers are more inclined to consider their major sales market and uh, Malay developed countries on neighboring regions. Eastern countries remain a key relocation destination, Attracting investment from uh, both traditional manufacturing and some high-tech manufacturing to avoid U.S. tariffs. Uh, let's take Apple supply chain as example. We have seen um, Apple has been accelerating the decentralizing of its supply chain from China and requiring more supplies to shift part of the productions away from China and mainly to Vietnam. And in meanwhile, we have seen Chinese automakers are also adding some plants in these regions. Uh, mainly due to those some countries' uh, favorable investment policies for EV manufacturing. Also, we have seen Chinese EV battery material suppliers. They are also investing in Indonesia for nickel resources for the reasons of the export bans I mentioned earlier. Uh, more Chinese companies are actually moving productions closer to uh, two end markets to be better positioned to capture more market share. And that includes some furniture companies that are investing in Mexico for the sales to the U.S. market to shorten the delivery time. And EV battery producers, they are also expanding a capacity near their client in the Europe, as well as some solar product producers that are bidding plants in the U.S. to avoid potential tariffs imposed on their export from the Southeast Asian countries to the U.S.
0: Now, you just uh, touched on some of the sectors where we're starting to see these shifts underway, but I, I thought it would be interesting to explore in a bit more detail the sectors where we see really the biggest shifts underway in terms of FDI. I think in particular, it'd be very interesting to hear about developments in China's advanced and rapidly growing renewable energy and EV sectors.
1: EV and the solar PV sectors are clearly leading the supply chain diversification recently, and the trend starts from 2022. Chinese companies in those sectors, they have been more competitive in global stage. And if you look at some data, we can see that China is actually leading in EV battery technology, as it's now the world's largest EV market and accounts for over 30% of global share of EV export in 2022. And if we look at the China's solar PV market dominance, it's much stronger, and China controlling over like 80% of global production of major solar PV products. So manufacturers in those sectors, they have previously mainly served foreign countries just through export, but they have accelerated their overseas production expansions over the recent years. The reasons and investment destinations behind this vary among segments. So, if we look at EV battery producers, which lead the overseas expansions, they are investing in local productions in Europe since 2022, mainly due to the strong auto backlogs from the foreign automaker customers. The upstream EV battery material suppliers entered the U.S. market are building plants in countries with free trade agreements with the U.S., such as South Korea. Uh, just to be eligible for the tax credits under the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. So Chinese automakers are building their plants in Asian countries to capture global EV booms, and they are also to diversify the risk from the highly competitive and profitable domestic market. In contrast, um, Chinese solar PV companies uh, just started their investment in local production in the U.S. since this year, uh, mainly to tap the IRA subsidies and try to avoid further tariff on their export outside of the U.S. Uh, however, they are still very cautious against uh, regulatory risk in the U.S. And their investment uh, currently mainly focused on the downstream module assembles, which require relatively low initial investment.
0: Putting all of these observations together, how do you see the outlook for these FDI trends? And, you know, is this something that you expect to accelerate going forward?
1: Uh, yes, we believe Chinese manufacturers, they will continue their supply chain diversification efforts. Because if you look at tensions between China and the U.S., it's still ongoing. And trade barriers is also rising globally. Uh, the trend is likely to accelerate if there is a significant escalation than geopolitical tensions. The U.S. trade and investment policy with China and the recent development uh, actually suggest that the relations between those two countries will still remain challenging. And if we look at some of the recent uh, developments, uh, U.S. has just tightened restrictions on Chinese investment into the U.S. Apart from that, it's also imposing restrictions on U.S. companies' outbound investment in some sensitive advanced technology in China. And also investigations against the eight Chinese PV firms in Southeast Asia. So I think those tensions will continue and that will promote more companies to further pursue their supply chain diversification just to maintain a market access. In the meantime, I think rising global protectionism, as we have seen in the increasing trade barriers, uh, including the higher tariffs, and tightened the requirement on material sourcing, as well as um, some countries' targeted subsidies that mainly benefit local producers, uh, will also depend Chinese manufacturers' continued access to, to some foreign markets through exports, that will promote a shift towards more local production.
0: Great. Thank you. I guess turning to trade patterns, you know, we still see in the data, at least the aggregate data, strong evidence that China remains really the dominant manufacturing hub in the global economy. But if we take a look under the surface, you know, trade patterns and China's market share for particular products does seem to be shifting a little bit as foreign firms are looking to diversify their supply chains by increasing production and sourcing outside of China. What are some of the trends in China's trade patterns that you see coming through in the data?
1: That's an interesting question. That is the reason why we are doing our second report uh, analysis uh, to find out what's the impact on the trade patterns. Intuitively, the ongoing supply chain shift from both global firms and Chinese companies should lead to a lower export of certain Chinese manufactured products. Uh, However, the shift so far has been led by the downstream segment and largely concentrated in the low skilled assemble and mass productions, which means Overseas demand for China-made inputs and some intermediate goods for further processing and sampling will rise. And this is evidence in the rapid growth in China's export of some electronics and machinery components, uh, which have outgrowth that of finished goods since 2018. Well, another key trend we observed in the trade pattern is the changing in China's export destinations. With China's shares of U.S. imports of a wide range of product categories actually declining, well, if export to some of the Asian countries, uh, the major relocation destination for re-export is actually rising. And we expect a further shift in the destination mix because Chinese manufacturers are expanding production capacity in a much wider and diversified regions, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, having said that, the growing made to upstream EV production capacity offshore made some countries continued effort in boosting mask EV supply chain in broaderster China dominance in global EV supply chain to some extent and will also pose challenges to China export of related products beyond the medium term
0: you mentioned that uh, intermediate goods are still largely being produced in China and then exported to other countries for assembly. How do these patterns relate to some of the earlier discussion that we had on outbound FDI? I guess, in in other words, are these firms simply shifting the final assembly of their products to their own facilities abroad, either for the lower labor costs or simply to get around uh, some of the trade tariffs?
1: Well we believe a large portion of the production relocated or established obviously so far. a component assembling for reasons you just mentioned. We still believe more companies are still keeping a lot of the higher value added production in China and those kind of production is not easily to be shifted away from China. There's some reasons behind this and I believe it is mainly attributable to China's competitive advantages in the manufacturing. Uh, that is unlikely to be replaced by other countries in the near to mid-term. And um, China's competitive advantages include a large and relatively high-skilled workforce, a forced and well-developed infrastructure, and also we have a lot of industrial expertise and efficient and complete manufacturing supply chain. So, uh, considering this, uh, moving to some countries with low-efficient supply chains actually will increase our cost. So it means the shifting. Uh, production out of China could be also costly for some companies. Uh, However, we have seen the rising union labor costs in China and have already eroded the competitiveness of China's workforce against major manufacturing countries globally.
0: So thinking about some of these trends, how do you see the role of Chinese firms in global supply chains going forward? And do you expect that uh, Chinese firms will sort of retain their dominance in global manufacturing for the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah, we believe China will remain the predominant manufacturing hub in the medium term, as we believe the supply chain shifts will be gradual. And although China can see some erosion in its dominance in certain manufactured goods over the medium term because of uh, this kind of supply chain shift. Uh, but so far, if we look at some of data, China's share of global exports remains significant in many product categories. Besides, I think the data also point to the growing manufacturing output in China, with China's share of global manufacturing output has been continually rising, uh, reaching about like 30% in 2022 from around twenty two in 2012, uh, despite this supply chain shift. Uh, we believe this is mainly attributable to China's growing production of some higher-value-added products, uh, such as EV and solar PV products, which has seen very strong export growth recently. And those kind of products will actually have offset some of the lower productions of some labor-intensive products. While China's growing production of uh, the higher-value products is mainly underpinned by the Chinese government continued efforts, in promoting investment in advanced manufacturing and to promote the industrial upgrade. Data has shown that China's growth, the high-tech manufacturing value added in China has actually grown at a very stronger pace compared to the total manufacturing in the past decade. And we believe the growing production of those high-value-added products will help strengthen China's manufacturing and supply chain dominance in the global stage. And apart from that, uh, I think the growing overseas expansion and the investment of uh, some competitive Chinese companies uh, also reflect the growing size of Chinese manufacturers and their global influence.
0: One driver of these shifting FDI and trade trends, as we've discussed, is geopolitics. And even with the efforts by Chinese firms to insulate themselves to a degree, how much of a challenge does geopolitics remain for firms to navigate? For instance, you discussed that Chinese battery makers were seeking to move some of their production to alternative destinations such that they would not be excluded from tax credit benefits under the Inflation Reduction Act. But at the beginning of December, the U.S. government announced that batteries produced with components sourced from foreign entities of concern which includes some Chinese firms, would not be eligible for tax credits. How does this particular move, first of all, impact Chinese battery and EV makers? And more broadly, how might Chinese firms be planning to manage this large geopolitical uncertainty?
1: Uh, Well, this is a very good question. Uh, I think this trade policy just highlighted the high regulatory risk faced by Chinese manufacturers. some of the strategic sectors from some developed countries, uh, especially the U.S. It's mainly because those countries are trying to protect local industries and to establish their demand supply chains. And this is also a result of geopolitical tensions. Excluding from the U.S. tax credits will actually put Chinese battery manufacturers at disadvantages against the global peers in the U.S. market. This will definitely dampen their sales Prospect and will expose their U.S. plans to significant operational challenges. Uh, we believe Chinese solar PV companies' cautious investment in the U.S. market recently, uh, which mainly focused on the less capital-intensive module assembly, despite high subsidies for component production, partly reflect their concerns on the high regulatory risk they are facing in the U.S. market. Well, we believe that um, in facing of this kind of uh, trade barriers or regulatory risk, Chinese companies uh, may still look for strategies to avoid and to bypass the f- restrictions. Um, we have seen Chinese EV battery suppliers, for example, they are building plants in countries with free trade agreement with the U.S. Uh, to be eligible for the tax credits under IRA. Chinese solar PV producers have also added wafer plants near the existing Asian production base since 2022, aiming to build uh, integrated wafer cell and module capacities to continue to serve in the U.S. market. And now they are also seeking alternative non-Chinese um, polysilicon sources to reduce the risk caused by those U.S. titan source screening on imports. I think the mainly uh, the things they are actually doing and will continue to do. But having said that, I think some restrictions uh, may not be able to be bypassed eventually. Um, that will leaving Chinese companies being blocked out of some major sales market in some sectors. Just to
0: wrap up, it would be interesting to explore from a, a ratings perspective, what does Fitch see as the biggest opportunities and risks from these trends in outward FDI and
1: shifting trade patterns? Fish sees overseas expansion as a credit positive for Chinese manufacturers, um, because it provides diversification benefits and expand their skills and also enhance brand value. While some markets also offer like higher margins and helping to improve companies' profitability over time. However, uh, overseas expansions also carries execution risk, and we believe the risk is quite high for Chinese manufacturers. Uh, mainly because many of them um, lack overseas operating experience uh, compared with their global peers. The largest risk we think for some companies in the strategic sectors uh, comes mainly from the regulatory risk in some developed countries, uh, as seen in the EV and the solar PV sectors, which we uh, just discussed. Besides, um, I think the short supply of skilled workers and cultural differences also add to uh, operational integration challenges for Chinese companies, especially for those in some high-tech companies. Uh, potential operational disruptions or losses um, and slower production ramp-up uh, caused by those kinds of execution risk could also affect overseas plant or cash flow generations and the profitabilities for some manufacturers, We're dampening their ability to reduce their leverage, because uh, some of them uh, actually invest heavily in overseas capacity expansions, and those investments are mainly funded by debt. Well, in addition, I think the shift in the product mix we just discussed in China's export structure uh, could also have some implications for some pod operators' profitability over time, leading to a lower profitability if we think the portion of the intermediate goods in their business mix increase, given the low handling fees for bank carriers.
0: Well, thank you again for your time and insights today, Flora. This has been an incredibly interesting and, and important discussion. Chinese firms, as we've discussed, have become global leaders in their own right in a number of emerging sectors, So as we continue to monitor the trends and implications of global supply chain diversification in the coming years, understanding the role and perspectives of Chinese firms will be critical. I encourage all of our listeners to have a look at Flora's reports for more analysis and keep an eye out for any future analysis from Flora's team. Now, before signing off, I just wanted to plug another recent report that Fitch's sovereign team Put out, which explores supply chain diversification from a global perspective and examines the countries in Latin America, APAC, and emerging Europe that appear best positioned to benefit from some of these trends. You can find this report and the two corporate sector reports highlighted today on Fitch's website or on Fitch Connect. You've been listening to Fitch Ratings China Perspectives podcast. This is our last episode for 2023. So we wish you all a happy and healthy 2024, wherever you are. Meanwhile, to learn more about our ratings and research on China, visit FitchRatings.com. Subscribe to China Perspectives on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. See you all again in the new year.